Father, we thank you this morning. You've been very gracious to me, especially on this day, this weekend. I thank you for the blessings that you've given to me in my life. I thank you for my family. I thank you for all that you've done for me. And this morning, Lord, I would like to bring this tender teaching to your church that you've given to me. I appreciate, Lord, your wisdom and knowledge that you allow me to share with your children. It's your church. You're the great bishop of our soul. And Lord, we just come under your authority this morning, asking for that holy anointing to touch us in a special way. And so God, release your spirit into our hearts to teach and to hear what the Spirit of God would say to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'd like to speak to you on the subject stillness, silence, and rest. You know, for a little while here in the church, I've been talking about how we need to be conformed to the image of Christ. And it's not what we do in life so much, it's what we become. And in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verse 2, it says this in the King James Version, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And in another version, it says this in Romans 12 too, Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. Society desires to influence us immensely in every aspect of life, especially our morals and our values. And to be a Christian and to be conformed to Christ's image is a challenge. And the challenge can only be met by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it by ourselves. It's a work that begins on the inside and that transforms us on the outside that people could see God working in our lives. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, it says this, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So I've been teaching uh, the Word of God here for the last little while on how God wants to transform us on the inside and that people will recognize the work of God on the outside because it's an inward work. A lot of times in different religions, they start from the outside with good works, trying to earn the love of God, trying to earn the acceptance of the Lord. We can't earn that. That has been purchased for us through the cross and through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we become Christians, God desires for us to come into the image, to be conformed to the image of His Son. God desires for us to know Him. To know Him. The Bible says in Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. To know Him. A lot of people really don't know Christ. 
A lot of people talk about God or they say, I believe in God, but they don't have that personal relationship with Jesus. When we say that we love Jesus, we're talking about a personal relationship with deity. We're talking about a Christ that lives on the inside of us. We're talking about a God that's part of our lives instinctively. He's always there. He is our friend. He's our savior. He's our bishop of our soul. The Bible says that he wants us to grow. He says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So what's God's desire for us? God's desire for us is to grow. God's desire for us, praise the Lord, is to mature in him, mature in Christ. And he says this to us. He says, but grow in grace, grow in the favor of God and in the knowledge of our Lord and and Savior, Jesus Christ. He wants us to know Christ. So how is this done? Pastor, how, how, how do you do this? And last week we spoke about communion with God. Communion with the, with the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Psalm 4 and 4, it says, I call to remembrance my song in the night. We can't lose our song, ladies and gentlemen. Brothers and sisters, we have to allow God to continually sing that song in our heart. It says, I commune with my own heart. And my spirit made diligent search. And so last week I taught you a little bit about this word commune. And I, and I said to you that the word commune means to speak with another. Okay, it's, you're on your bed. This is what God is saying. It's saying, I commune with, with my own heart at night. It says, I call to remembrance my song in the night. And so what is it saying? You commune, you're, you're talking to yourself and you're talking to God. You're having a conversation with yourself. And you're, what, what you're doing is you're, you're conversing with God. And God wants to speak to you. God wants to commune with you so you can get to know Him better. And so God wants to converse with you. He wants to give you commands. He wants to give you promises. He wants to give you warnings. He wants to give you new songs. He wants to lead you away from the trouble that you may have had during that day or in your life. He wants to put those things to flight. So this is a personal conversation, a personal communion with the Trinity. Without that personal communion with the Trinity, we cannot have personal communication between ourselves. If you know Him, and I know Him, the Bible says that my spirit will bear witness with your spirit that we are the children of God. Do you get that? But when you don't commune with Him, it's just secular. When you just don't commune with the Trinity, it's just surface conversation. There's nothing of depth. There's no emotion there. It's cold. It's calculated. It's just nonsense. But when you commune with someone, when you commune with God, you commune on the level of spirit. They that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And when you commune on your bed, you're saying to God, I want to know you. I want to know you better. And I want to know who I am in you. And when you start to find out who you are in Christ, your operating image will change. You'll walk into a room and you will be the man. You will walk into the room and you will be that woman. You'll walk into that room with wisdom and knowledge and humility. You'll walk in that room and people will look at you and say there's something different about that human being. It's not how so much what we say. It's what we become. Some people are just talkers. But there's nothing on the inside that convinces people that they are Christian. There's nothing on the inside of that person that convinces someone that you're different 
than every other person that they've met that day, wherever in your environment might be. So how do you get this conformity to the image of Christ? Of course, through communion with the Holy Spirit, with the Father and with the Son. But there's a, a word that I learned through Dallas Willard, and I'm going to quote a little bit from his book, The Great Omission, is the word stillness. How do you become conformed to the image of Christ? It's through stillness. And it's very hard for Americans to be still. It's very hard for us not to be distracted. It's very hard for us not to have all of this that's around us that's so attractive to pull us away from the stillness of God. The Bible says in Psalm 46 and 10, famous verse, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. What does it mean to be still? The word in Hebrew actually means to sink down. It means to relax, to let things drop, to withdraw, to become idle, to abandon what you're doing, to refrain from what you're doing, to forsake what you've been doing. It means to let it go in this moment of stillness to be quiet. My wife will tell you when our children were growing up, we always instituted quiet time every day in our home. Quiet time. That hardly exists in people's homes today. Come on, preach. Because quiet time dictates structure and discipline. Quiet time dictates being still. You hardly ever see that among children anymore. You hardly ever see that as a parenting tactic in our homes and families in America. Because of electronics, lights, flashing, we have to entertain children today. We have to di distract them and redirect them to get them to behave. When God says to be still. He said to Moses in Numbers chapter 9 and verse 8, And Moses said unto them, Stand still, and I will hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Stand still. Moses said God will speak to us if we stand still, because activity means that you're being distracted, doing other things, because the word to be still means to relax, let go, refrain, withdraw, abandon what you're doing. How can God speak to us when we're so busy? How can God speak to us when there's so much traffic in our life? How can God speak to us when there's so many highways open in our brain that we have this to-do list that will never get done that's eternal, but we think that we can complete it? The prophet Samuel came to the king Saul one day and he said in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 27, and as they were going down to the end of the city... They were walking. Samuel said to Saul, bid the servant pass on before us, and he passed on. Tell him to go. But he told the king, but stand, but stand thou still a while, listen to what he says now, that I may show thee the word of God. The teacher, the student. The teacher, the student. 
The mentor, the student. The mentor, the apprentice. Elijah, Elisha. A prototype. Jesus and the disciples. The disciples would have never learned what Christ was saying unless they learned to be still. Come on. To sit under a tree and listen to the master. To sit under the, under the tree and listen to the sage. The mentor. The old man. Sit at the feet of the old man. Sit under the feet of the wise man that's lived life. That can give you the counseling. That can give you direction. Because of the bruises and the wounds that he has received or she has received in life. To help you not to receive similar wounds. Samuel said in 1 Samuel 12, 7, it says, Now therefore stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. He's reminding Saul, listen, I want to talk to you about what God's done for you and what God's done for our fathers. But you can't listen to me if you're on the run. You can't listen to me if you've got to go do. You can't listen to me if you're on your phone. You can't listen to me if you're distracted. You can't listen to me because you want to watch a television program. You can't listen to the man of God or the woman of God because you're too busy. You're not standing still. The Bible says in Job chapter 37 and verse 14, Hearken unto this, O Job, stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Have you ever gone down to the lake and you sat on a bench still and you looked around not distracted, not on your phone. You see the birds and the ducks in the water. You see children playing. You see people frolicking. You see people just meditating. You might be seeing an artist with their uh, papers in their platform and they're sketching something out there on the lake somewhere. This is what God's saying. You can't see this unless you stand still. We're always moving. The Bible predicted this. Daniel prophesied that people would run to and fro throughout the earth in the last days. Come on. Christians have to learn to stand still so we can hear what God's saying. We have to teach our children to stand still so they can hear what we want to teach them through the word of God. We have to teach our families to stand still to see the glorious creation of God and say, look what God has created. Look what God has done. And look what God has done for our fathers. Come on. Standing still. Let me read to you a few words. The Great Omission is a very deep book by Dallas Willard, a great author, a famous preacher. And I quote, under the heading of Solitude and Silence, among the practices that can help us attend to soul care at a basic level, are solitude and silence. We practice these by finding ways to be alone and away from talk and noise. We rest, we observe, we smell the roses. Dare we say it? We do nothing. This discipline can be used of God as a means of grace. In it, we may even find another reminder of grace that we are saved, justified by his redeeming power, not by our strivings and achievements. In drawing aside for lengthy periods of time, we seek to rid ourselves of the corrosion of the soul that accrues from constant interaction with others and the world around us. 
I have to read that again. In drawing aside for lengthy periods of time, we seek to rid ourselves of the corrosion of soul that accrues from constant interaction with others and the world around us. In this place of quiet communion, we discover that we do have souls, that we have indeed inner beings to be nurtured. Then we begin to experience again the presence of God in the inner sanctuary, speaking to and interacting with us. We understand anew that God will not compete for our attention. We must arrange time for our communion with Him as we draw aside in solitude and silence. The psalmist said, Cease striving and know that I am God in Psalm 46 and 10. And immediately following this, the writer affirms the success of God's mission on earth. I'm exalted among the nations. I'm exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Other translations of this verse read, Be still and know that I am God, the New International Version, and step out of traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, the Message Bible. God's provision for us and for His work through us is adequate. We do not have to make it happen. We must stop shouldering the burdens of outcomes. They are safely in His hands. Someone has insightly said, the greatest threat to devotion to Christ is service for Christ. What a paradox. This is so easily a challenge for many ministers. Allowing the service for Christ to steal our devotion to Him is a radical failure in personal soul care. But it's one from which the practice of communing with Christ in times of solitude and silence can deliver us. One more paragraph. Our response to giving attention to personal soul care often is, I don't have time for extensive solitude and silence. I have too much to do. The truth is, is that we don't have time not to practice solitude and silence. No time is more profitably spent than that used to heighten the quality of an intimate walk with God. If we think otherwise, we have been badly educated. The real question is, will we take time to do what is necessary for an abundant life and an abundant ministry, or will we try to get by without it? So a couple of words of counsel are appropriate for our pertaining to the inner life. First, God never gives anyone too much to do. We do that to ourselves or allow others to do it to us. We may be showing a lack of our confidence in God's power and goodness through possibly our models and education have failed us. What's he saying? End of quote. People say I'm too busy. No, it's what we allow people to do to us. It's what we allow people to dictate to us and to control us. And we are too busy. And when you're too busy... You're too busy for God. How can we really commune with God if we're so distracted so much in our lives? The enemy has set up the scenario in the last day for distraction. And it's electronics. And electronics can be used for great things for God. But electronics can keep people on Facebook and texting and, and Twittering and whatever they're doing. Young people. There's an article that just came out that I haven't sent out to the church on the effects of phones on teenagers that it's affecting their minds, their soul, and their spirit. It's an amazing study that was done. You talk about depression. You talk about things that are happening to young people. It's very related to cell phone usage. So let me get back to this. How do we come into conformity to Christ's image? 
We have to be still. We have to allow the Trinity to help us. But it's also through silence. It's not only through stillness, it's through silence. And what do I mean by silence? In Job chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from their own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept. And they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him. They sat down with Job upon the ground. Listen to this. Seven days and seven nights and nobody spoke a word unto him for they saw that his grief was very great. Wow, what structure. Wow, what discipline. For seven days and seven nights not saying nothing. Can you imagine that? How that might help our marriages? should have said amen when you said that. How, how that would help our families? How, how that would help our churches in America? Because everybody has opinions. Everybody knows how to do it better than someone else. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The Bible says in Proverbs 10.19, when there are many words, look at this verse, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is wise. After five minutes on the phone, it turns into gossip usually. Come on turns into nonsense. That's what the word says here. What does it say? When there are many words, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable. You're being distracted. But the one who controls his lips is wise, the HCSB version. It says this in Proverbs 17, 28, the same version. It says, even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent, discerning when he seals his lips. <laughs> what does it say in Ecclesiastes? And 3.7, it says, a time to rend, a time to sow, a time to keep silence. The wisest man on the earth at that time was Solomon. And he said, you know what, folks? There's a time to be quiet. <laughs> Imagine that. So you gain the conformity to Christ's image through seeking communion with the Trinity, through the stillness of God, and through silence. But then there's one more, and that's called rest. The Bible says in Exodus 23, 12, Six days thou shalt do thy work, and on the seventh day thou shalt rest, that thine ox and thine ass may rest, and the son of thine handmaid and thy stranger may be refreshed. In other words, the people that work for you, the people in your family, getting a day off, resting. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 31, verse 12, and the Lord said unto Moses, saying, Speak thou also unto the children of Israel, saying, Verily my Sabbaths you shall keep. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord that doth sanctify you. What's God saying? He's saying in Exodus 34, 21, Six days thou shalt work, but on the seventh day thou shalt rest. In earing time and in harvest thou shalt rest. What's God saying? God's saying, when we come apart, when we give our bodies time to recover, when we give our body and soul time to come before God and commune with God, He will share His Word with us. He will share with us His wonderful works of creation. He will share with us the great things that God has done in the Bible with our forefathers. 
When Jesus walked the earth in his physical capacity as the Son of Man, as the Son of God, and he gathered disciples, and he said in Mark chapter 6 and verse 31, and he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Isn't that so true today? What does the word rest here mean in Greek? It means to cause or, or permit one to cease from any movement or labor in order to recover and collect his strength. Let's say that again. To cause or permit one to cease from any movement or labor in order to recover and collect his strength. It means to refresh. It means to give yourself rest, self-rest. It means to keep quiet. It means calm and patient expectation. Listen to this now. No longer stirred by the world's incitements and seductions. I know the world has changed since I was a kid, obviously. But every Sunday afternoon after dinner, for the most part, my mother would say to my dad, can we go for a ride? And I knew what that meant. My dad would take us to Coney Island. There was a little amusement park there when we were children. They had a little train, they had some cars and different things just for little kids. And then afterward, my dad would usually stop at Howard Johnson's because my dad loved ice cream. And they had a lot of flavors. And it was a treat. There was no seatbelts in those days. My dad had an old Pontiac. We sat in the back seat. And my dad used to smoke cigars. And he used to give us a cigar box. Had a little nail in it. And closed the box. And in that cigar box, we had our doodads. We had our puzzles. We had our marbles. We had different things in that box. Cards, baseball cards that entertained us in the back seat. We didn't move. We didn't stir. We didn't need, and I understand it's a different world today, videos and lights and flashing and so on. We were quiet. We stood still. We played with our things in our little doodad box until we got to the amusement park. And then we go get ice cream and we go back in the car, and my brother and I, we usually were together because we were five years apart in age. He was my younger brother. The car's seats were big in those days, in the back seat. And we would lay down and go to sleep until we got home. And our dad would pick us up from the car one by one and put us in our beds. We learned to be still. When my mother was raising us, People said, Mrs. Colombo, you have the quietest children. You know why? Because before we left home to go visit anyone, Mother used to sit down with us and say this. You will sit on a chair. You will be quiet. You will not destroy any property. And if the people, people of the house ask you if you want anything, a drink or something to eat, you look at us and we will tell you yes or no. 
Ma'am, yes, ma'am. You know, when I was a kid, I learned how to iron. I learned how to cook. I learned how to sew. I learned how to do a vacuum. I learned how to do the wash. I learned how to survive because I learned how to make my bed. Listen, I was in boot camp. Praise God. My mother had boot camp in our home when I was raised, when I was growing up. It didn't hurt me. It didn't hurt me. But there was demands made. And I believe God's making demands of us as Christians. Come on. To sit in the back seat with a little doodad box sometimes. To sit in the back seat and let God speak to us. To sit in that back seat and fall asleep so we can commute on upon our bed and maybe God will give us a vision or a dream during the nighttime. God is saying something to us. He's saying, listen, come apart into a desert place. He said to the disciples, and rest a while. Jesus needed to do this. We keep going and going. And listen, I'm a victim of that. Or should I say, that's been one of the things in my life that I've had to work on to overcome through Christ because I'm an adrenaline freak. I know all about adrenaline and cortisol. I know how to go, 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 go. And I know also how I feel when that adrenaline cortisol begins to decline in my body. I begin to fall apart. So not wanting to experience that feeling, I keep going. But I want to tell you something. It begins to deteriorate your body. It begins to do different things to your body because you're not getting the proper rest. That's right. You see, we sleep every night. Have you ever realized why God allows us to sleep? So that we can recover so that we can commune upon our bed. The Bible says in Exodus 33 and 14, concerning this rest, he said to Moses, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. Is there ever more a day when we need rest in our minds? Is there ever more a day when we need rest in our soul and in our spirit? Is there ever? There's so much going on. I said to my wife recently, I said, my Mind is like a highway. She said, what do you mean? I said, there's bumper to bumper traffic in my, in my mind. I have so many thoughts, I can't shut it down. It's bumper to bumper. It's the information highway. And I have to learn better how to be still, how to be silent. So I can get that rest so I can recover. I've been on a treadmill for years. I've been on a treadmill for years. And my body is feeling it. My body is weary. My body is exhausted. My mind is out there. Pushing, pushing, pressing. It's not healthy. The Bible says in Psalm 116 and 7, and this is a command, Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with thee. What does it mean? God is speaking to us, and He's saying, Return unto thy rest. Don't you remember those leisure days? Don't you remember those days when it was carefree? Don't you remember those days when you can get your athletic bag and go down to the Y and just... Hang out there for the day, run the track, lift some weights, have some fun. But now it's the schedule. 
I got to be here at a certain time. I've got to do this at a certain time. I have this appointment. I've got to go here. I've got this. The doctor, the, the lessons, the children, all of this stuff. And it's got us going around like a chicken without a head. And God is saying, return unto your rest. And what does that mean? It means settle down and remain for a moment. It means to repose. Kind of like a dead body in a coffin. But still alive. Repose. It means to be quiet. The word in, in Hebrew means to leave and depart from something. To abandon and to commit yourself to sit still and get some rest. People say, get some rest. Us as Americans. Tell me, what does it mean to you? You work, you're a mother, you're a housewife, you're out there, you got children, appointments, school, meetings. And people say, hey, get some rest. <laughs> what, what does that mean to us as Americans? It's not even in our vocabulary anymore. Come on, because we're not practicing getting rest. And listen, we're gonna pay the price if we don't listen to what God is saying. I'm not saying that we should just sit on the couch for the rest of our life eating chocolate-covered cherries, and that would be nice, but... Are you with me? You know that big bar? That candy bar that... What do they call it? Cat? Yeah, the fruited nut one? I can kill one of those in a sitting. I can really sit still and eat one of those. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We don't have time. We're on the run. Look how people eat. They got something in their hand. They got a coffee in their hand. And they're running down the road. We're eating in our cars. We're eating on the run. We don't even enjoy our meal. We got time. I got to do this. I got to go here. I got to go there. Can you just sit down for a moment and have a cup of coffee? I got to go. I got to go. Where are you going? You don't even know where you're going. Get look at your appointment book. We have to put all this stuff down on our phones now. Because i got to get to the next place. The Bible says in the HCSB version, Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. It's those times of rest where we can give thanks to God and say, God, thank you. You blessed me. Thank you for the little things. Thank you for the big things. It says again in the message version, I said to myself, relax and rest. God has showered you with blessings. We don't even enjoy those blessings. We don't even have time to thank God for those blessings. The Bible says in the YLT version, Turn back, O my soul, to thy rest, for Jehovah has conferred benefits on thee. The time of silence, the time of stillness, is the time when God wants to teach us, when God wants to speak to us, when God wants to sing to us, when we can commune back with God. And it's a time when God says, I want to give you rest so you can understand the blessings and benefits I have been giving you all of your life, even unto this present moment. Thanking God for all He has given us. Rest is actually found in serving Christ. It says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, "Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden." Some of us are laboring and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest. Unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. What does that word rest mean? It means this 
to cause or permit one to cease from any movement or labor in order to recover and collect their strength. It means to refresh, to give someone, to give oneself rest, to keep quiet, to be of quiet and calm and patient expectation. And as I said before, no longer stirred by the world's incitements and seductions. Jesus tells us to do this. Are we doing it? Am I doing it? It's something that we have to really think about and pray about and say, God, I have to make time for you. I hear people say, I have no time. And then they go to bed at night and read one verse and say some simple prayer and feel guilty that day of all the events that have taken place because we have time for everything else, but we have no time for God. And then we feel condemned and shamed and guilty. God is saying, prevent that. Make time for me. Sometimes you have to tell people, this is my time. Sometimes you have to shut off the phone. It's not that important. I tell people, listen, if it's an emergency, call 911 and talk to God. Because I'm not, maybe not being able to get there. And I'm not a medical doctor, so I probably can't even help you. If it's an emergency, talk to God and call 911. That's the first thing we should do. But sometimes you've got to shut off the phone. We're addicted. We don't want to admit it. We're in denial. Oh, come on. We're addicted to electronics. Come on. And it's the Satan's way of distracting us from stillness, from silence, and rest in God. And as I close, the ultimate rest is in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead when they die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, with the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow. In another version, it says this. I heard a voice out of heaven write this. Blessed are those who die in the Master from now on. How blessed to die that way. Yes, says the Spirit. And blessed rest from their hard, hard work. None of what they've done is wasted. God blesses them for it's all in the end. The message version. So what am I saying today as a pastor? Speaking to myself, I'm speaking to the church, speaking to God's people as he has given us this message. And God is saying, I want to conform you to the image of my son. And in order to do that, there must be a time of stillness, a time of silence, and a time of rest. So you can hear what God is saying. So we can commune with God upon our beds. So that we can get direction from the Lord, not only for ourselves, but for our families. And most of all, that we can get rest for our bodies because we'll be no good to anyone else if we become incapacitated. We're no good for anyone else when we're incapacitated. We have to recover. And I believe healing is through the cross. I believe restoration is through the cross. I believe recovery is through the cross. And I believe God wants to restore us and conform us to his image in Christ that we may be changers, difference makers, the children of God in the last day to give hope to those that have lost hope. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Thanks, sister.